Hello and welcome to our podcast. I'm your host, Howard Drukarsh. I've been a successful realtor in Canada's largest market, Toronto, for over 30 years. And in the latter part of my career, I co-founded Canada's largest independent brokerage, Right at Home Realty, with a roster of over 5,600 agents and growing. In 2020, I started this podcast, and it's been a wonderful way to introduce people of success in real estate and related fields to our audience. Um, they talk about their careers, and we also get their insight into the business. And today's guest is Debbie Kosick. Debbie is the CEO um, uh, and founder of Intuition Realty. Uh, Debbie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Howard, for having me here. Um, it's really is a pleasure and an honor to be on your stage. I've been following you and your career for quite a while, and many congratulations on being a real industry innovator. Thank you. You know, and I've been following your career because, you know, we, we both are entrepreneurs. Uh, we both have found a way to succeed. And, you know, lots of people start in business, but in particular, the real estate business. But to make it last, that's the, that's the challenge. And good for you. You've got a great company. Um, so let me ask the questions people are, are, are all, always interested in of our guests. Uh, before real estate, what did you do? Well, actually, I went into real estate straight out of university. The summer I graduated was one of those great years where you couldn't find a, a job very mm -hmm. readily. I'm sure it's still the same in a lot of fields. And I couldn't find a job in my field, which is political science. I really had a passion for it. I always thought I would run in the political forum. And um, I decided to get my real estate license in the interim. And the rest is kind of history. I just never left the field. Okay. So let me tell our, our, our viewers about a bit about your background. So obviously, you know, you started your company, Intuition Realty, which is spelled I-N with the numeral T, I-T-I-O-N, for those people who are going to Google you right after this. Um, and after graduating from University of Toronto, um, you became basically what you are now, a self-made businesswoman very in a very highly competitive industry. Um, you, you saw a need, and that was for innovation and, and something different in the business, and you launched your, your business in 2008. Um, you've overseen the sales and marketing of over, and this is a big number, so I'm going to say it slowly, 20 billion, with a B, dollars of real estate. You're recognized as an astute professional, great innovator, uh, and also you're a member of boards. You're a member of the Canadian Women's Council of Real Estate Professionals, the CWCREP, and um, uh, Toronto Artscape Foundation. And you also had a two-year term uh, on the board of BUILD, the Building Industry and Land Development um, Association. Uh, you've been honored with many uh, awards for, for civic and business. Um, in real estate and in the community. Um, and um, at the end of the day, you, you've built a great business with passion, with values, and uh, congratulations. I, I, I mean, I, I, you know, like you, we know a lot of people in the business, and, and sometimes you just have to really just think what a, what a great success this person has done. And that's you. So let's go on to more questions about Debbie, okay? Thank you, Howard. You're very kind. Okay. Um, when you got into real estate, were you just, as most people, licensed and went right into residential? Oh, absolutely not. Actually, I ended up, a friend asked me to sit a pre-construction site. They were there to uh, take a vacation that summer. Knew absolutely nothing about the industry. Extremely, extremely green. And um, I thought, okay, well, this, is, this can't be that hard. I'm looking for a job in my real field in politics. 
And in the interim, I'll do this friend a favor. I ended up sitting at a construction site and, um, you know, everything happens for a reason. The developer fired the manager that was uh, working directly for him, who was my boss at the time, and offered me the job. And, you know, I was obviously extremely green, extremely inexperienced, but I loved even back then to uh, produce a great spreadsheet. So I would start to analyze projects in the area, spend time because as we've all walked into brand new construction sites back in the day used to be trailers, et cetera. And sometimes there'd be nobody there, especially way out. I was in Cambridge out in the boonies at that point in time. So um, I would occupy my time doing analysis and visiting other sites. And, you know, unbeknownst to me, this, this was almost considered very innovative in that industry at the time. So I would shoot this developer, these emails with uh, this information on it. He thought I was, you know, extremely innovative and looking for a job. I really wasn't. I was just bored at that point in time. Mm. Um, so he offered me the position and, and I went and worked for them for 12 and a half years. They were a small company. We started, we were selling about 50 units a year. When I left there 12 and a half years later, we were selling about 500 units a year. So we we're a substantial um, development company. They were a builder and a developer. And, you know, having the just the good fortune to be in a company with such intense growth, you get to fulfill a myriad of roles. So wore many, many hats, you know, learned in the school of hard knocks, surrounded by all men in the construction industry. And, um, you know, really, I think that, that that was sort of the groundwork for my whole career. It was a tough, tough industry, tough place to work, and you either sink or swim. So Debbie, the business, you know, from when you started, and as you mentioned, was in, in, mostly men in in the area of uh, you know pre-construction and being on sites and and uh, in, in sales. And now it appears to me when I've gone to projects and you know and, and been invited to to see what's coming, it seems it's mainly women. Um, and why do you think that's happened? I think the real estate industry, particularly pre-construction, has really become a draw for for women because of the flexibility of the hours, the stability of income, you know, the ability to, it really does attract, I think, a lot of females because of still, you know, I, I hate to fall into gender bias, biases, but women still quite often are running their households or, you know, juggling the children and the family. And, you know, you get such wonderful flexibility with real estate that you don't in many other fields. So we see more and more of that, not just on our sales floors, but we also see it um, with our co-op agents, like our resale partners, mm-hmm. there are more and more females emerging and extremely successful. And I think that success comes from the ability to, you know, juggle so many different roles so effortlessly, and that gets translated to business. But there really is a an appeal to be able to work at a certain time. Like our sales offices usually open at noon. So you have the ability to take your kids to school in the morning, to prepare for your day, to do whatever you have to do at home, to prep, to go to the gym, et cetera. And sometimes you're working till seven at night. Sometimes you're working till five, depending on the project. So it can be, you know, quite um, a compact time frame at times. And I think that that's quite appealing for anybody that's juggling a family or, you know, running a household also. Yeah. And I started in the 80s, as you did. And, you know, we, we know that the, the, the technology growth was uh, you wanted to call a client, you went to a payphone. <laughs> okay. Uh, then there were pagers. You wanted to call a client who pays you. You still went to a pay, to a payphone. 
Then there were suitcase phones that were like 30 pounds. So you could carry that around if you're strong enough. And then, you know, people at Blackberries came. They were, I think, the first big wave. And now, and I think this is what you, you were saying, now you can be a real estate agent um, at, a, at a kid's baseball game dealing with a client. You can be anywhere and you can be reached and run your business. And I think, I think that's been the biggest advantage to anybody in this business from the old days. There's lots. But the ability to, to be a part of, of the, you know, the, the life of your family and, and not be you know, stuck in another place, I think that's been great. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, we, we've always um, encouraged like a flex work environment that's been part of our culture from work. So if I look at my four VPs that co-run the company with myself, they all happen to be women. That was not purposeful. It's just the way it evolved um, over the years. They're all um, family. You know, they all have families. They're juggling family, spouses, kids, you know, elderly parents, all kinds of things. And, um, you know, they're very effortlessly, I would never know this is going on in their lives because they're present virtually, they're present through their, their phones, they're working at all kinds of hours, spitting out reports, analysis, presentations, whatever it is that we need in our, in our end of the industry. Um, but yet, you know, when I do have an opportunity to talk to them, I hear about my child was in the hospital because they sprained their ankle or, you know, my mom has COVID, I had to bring her food all week. I, Every, you know, all the, the stories of what happens in people's behind the scenes in their lives. And they, they juggle it. They juggle it so effortlessly that it, it's very quite admirable. I think that's one of the biggest, it was for me, one of the big attractions was uh, you didn't have business travel. Uh, you could take care of uh, family members that needed help. Uh, and you could earn a good living. It, the only difference was you were working seven days a week because you can't do it on five. Uh, but you know, obviously, everybody who gets everybody who succeeds in the business works seven days a week. I think this, whether it's work where you're at work, whether it's work you're doing research, whether it's work sending material to clients, it's seven days. But it, it, you know, there's no there's no limit in this business, which I think attracts most of the people that come in. Um, I wanted to ask about the starting of intuition. Uh, you mentioned that you had been with another company. Um, so what was it that motivated you to, you know, take the leap of faith to start your own company? We ran, a, I ran the sales and marketing for this developer for 12 years. And one of the things that, um, one, of the, one, of, one of my duties was finding a sales and marketing company to represent us as a development, like the listing agent on these various developments. And it seemed that over the 12 years, I just kept cycling through a lot of the industry, you know, ex, so-called experts. And um, they just, I really wasn't satisfied with what I could find when it came to the talent and um, <clears throat> the offering out there. So when I was ready to move on from the development company, I kind of always had this dream in the back of my mind to have my own business. Um, I thought the perfect thing would be to offer this service to our pre-construction industry because I had sat on the other side of the table in the builder's boardroom representing the builder for so many years, for over a decade. So I really understood what that offering needed to be. And I understood what was lacking in the industry. So it was, it was sort of wedged into this perfect little niche where, you know, I had a real estate license. I understood the development industry. I understood pre-construction sales and marketing very well. I was still um, fresh enough that I felt like I could make a change in this industry. Like I hadn't been there for so long that I was jaded and, you know, didn't feel that um, 
you know, that there could be progress or change. I still had, was very starry eyed of thought, well, I could really make a change. I could offer something that was unique. And obviously the formula has worked over the last 15 years. Well, I think that's all, all businesses uh, start with problem opportunity, right? You saw the problem, you saw it as an opportunity and, and you took the leap of faith and clearly it's worked out really well. But, but I wanted to ask in that road from start to now, what, what would you say have been your biggest challenges? Really, I think the biggest challenge was in our early days was money and lack of seed money. You were very fortunate. We had a conversation where you mentioned that you were able to raise some capital to make the huge splash in industry you have made with your partners. Um, we weren't in that position. Um, we probably wouldn't even know how to have gone down that road. We opened a small real estate company um, and originally thought that we were going to combine the resale and the project marketing. And we very quickly learned that uh, the project marketing was far more lucrative and just something that we understood. So we spun off the, the resale company, we had 100 resale agents, we sold it and concentrated on the project marketing. But the biggest challenge was the lack of financial investment in the beginning. Like we had, uh, you know, we started the, the company on our line of credit, very small line of credit. My mother co-signed for our first office space. Uh, I think that if we had had a cash injection early in our company or had maybe taken a partner that had, you know, financial means, I think we would have probably been in a different space right now in our industry. But nevertheless, we overcame that after the first five years and continue to, you know, reinvest in our company and have grown to be currently we're the second largest project marketing company in Canada, which de facto makes us the second largest in North America because we have the largest pre-construction sales market in the GTA wow, volume wise, believe it or not. Good for you. Everybody's right. shocked when I say that. They think it's New York or Miami or Texas, one of the Texas markets. No, we actually trade more volume here than any of those marketplaces. Wow, good for you. It's a, this is a really interesting thing for people who will see this podcast to know how big you are. Uh, in the growth of the company, what, what was your smallest, and I guess that would be the early days, and what has been your largest projects that you've worked on? Smallest projects were absolutely in the early days, um, some infill. One of the pro developments that I lived in where we sold the land to developers, 19 homes, um, kind of a bit of a luxury, long clave in South Mississauga. Um, and largest, I mean, we've sold market 6,000 acres in Saskatchewan for uh, for Dream in their low-rise division. We're there for four and a half years selling 12 projects for them prior to the, the turn in the marketplace there, which was oil related at the time. And um, in the high rise, it's our Amicon development, which I think is probably the first place we met about a decade ago. And that's 6,500 units in Mississauga city center. And it's 23 phases of towers, townhouses, et cetera. And we launched our 12th tower there uh, this summer, earlier this summer and in July. And I'm proud to say that we are um, sold out of the whole release. So we're waiting for our next tower there, which should be later this fall. That's amazing. <laughs> Those are huge numbers. The thing about the businesses, and I guess not just the real estate business on the residential side, but on your side, um, it's really changed. And if you were to kind of say, you know, if someone asked you, how has it changed? What would you say would be the, the, the biggest um, change that you've seen? Well, there's been so many things, but I really think technology, the impact of technology and virtual selling 
um, especially with COVID, we had been selling virtually um, for a couple of years. We had sold some projects overseas. We had sold projects in various, we were in the Texas marketplace and the Western Canada and Florida, et cetera. So a lot of those sales were conducted virtually. So we had a pretty good lead up to sort of the COVID um, experience where the whole world went virtual. And overnight we had 20 active projects that had to be converted to virtual sales. Um, and, and that has, and I believe that that's going to stay. We're seeing now that our marketplace still very strong and has opened up and we're back to, we just launched a building on Wednesday, last night, actually. And it was in person. You know, we had brokers through our sales office. Um, you know, they built a beautiful sales office, model suite, but we still layered all the virtual technology. And we are still finding that the majority of the people are still choosing to write the deals online. They still shy away from being in big crowds. And they're finding that process extremely easy because we've made it very easy. Mm-hmm. It's really one, two, three. Like it's, it's, you know, a 12-year-old could execute a deal and understand it. Well, my 12, 12-year-old is more computer savvy than I am. So I'm sure that uh, that they could. Um, but we've made it very easy and people enjoy that. They, you know, I had a girlfriend comment last summer who purchased um, a townhouse from us in a, as an investment and, we emailed her, the uh, the agent got online with her, explained the development, emailed her, doc, she docu-signed the uh, documents while she sat around her pool and she said to me, you know, see, it's it was it's harder to get an appointment to see my hairdresser than it was to buy a piece of property with you guys. <laughs> well, you had the advantage that you already had done it. A lot of them, you know, your your uh, uh, people in your business had to figure out real quick. And, and the fact that, you know, your clients, and I think all people... You know, technology, as people, uh, young people come into this business or any business, they grew up with technology, so they expect it, right? I mean, that's what they're comfortable with. I mean, I'll bet your 12-year-old doesn't know how to use the phone. I mean, my, my kids never phoned me. It's all texting, right? And yeah. I, I think that's that's the new way. And the fact that you were already ready for it, you know, great for your company. Uh, so obviously, that's going to continue, right? That you're not going to shut that part down because, you know, things are opening up again. Um, this has been a kind of a funny year so far. I mean, it, it sort of went slow, then it got hot again. Um, how, how do you see it finishing out? Like for, we're, we're now recording in September. Between now and the end of the year, what, what do you see? Well, I, I, I think there's going to be continued steady growth. I mean, from Jan to July, which is we usually track it in quarters, and I still don't have my... Uh, my, my third quarter complete yet, but Jan to July of this year, we were up 45% wow. in sales, the industry as a whole. So high rise was up 67% and low rise was up about 18% in trading volume. Like that's incredible. It, and, and I don't see that um, slowing down because what's happened in our industry is a lot of our launches and our openings of be it high rise or low rise have shifted to the, the second half of the year, you know, being, Again, we would have been certainly with COVID in the beginning of the year and developers delaying openings, et cetera, et cetera. So there was less inventory in our marketplace. And I do believe that, you know, the, the forces, the low interest rates are going to continue to stay, um, you know, a little bit of uncertainty around the election. But I believe that, that, you know, that's over in four days. So we'll see how that, you know, play, pans out. And, um, you know, interest rates, interest, uh, sorry, not interest rates, immigration is going to reopen. So last year we had um, a record low. I think it's the lowest immigration we've had since um, 
1998, we had about 100, just under 190,000 people came into the country and it was supposed to projected to be about 340,000 because of the shutdown and COVID, et cetera, that got cut. So now the government's announced that they're going to be allowing 1.2 million immigrants over the next uh, four years into Canada. So a little bit of a catch up and of course, supply and demand, that's going to drive our marketplace. Not, right. not that everybody that comes here has money and can afford to buy real estate right off the bat, but they do enter that cycle and that renter to become a purchaser cycle is a five to six year cycle usually. Mm-hmm. So they may come here rent with the hope of buying in X amount of years. And then there's a healthy portion of that immigration population that comes here with, um, you know, solid education and money in their pocket and they want to buy real estate. So for intuition, uh, we're, since we're talking about this year and, and into next year, um, what, what's the lineup that you have in terms of projects? We've got, um, we had about 20 launches on our books this year. We have six more that we have to open this fall. As I mentioned, we launched one last night, which is Universal City East for um, Chestnut Hill Developments. is the fourth out of seven towers in Pickering, on the Pickering Go Station, minutes to the casino, minutes to the new um, Amazon, uh, one of the fulfillment centers, just a fantastic location. Um, and we believe that that will sell within a couple of weeks. It's 320, 27 units. So um, enormous, enormous interest in it. And um, we have another release coming at the Vincent Towers in Vaughan, which is Rosehaven Developments, Townwood Homes, and the Guglietti Brothers is two twin towers. So we're focusing on our second tower now. That's about 766 units in Vaughan, in the Vaughan Metropolitan Center, walking distance to the subway. Fabulous investment also. And then we still have to get out the gate. Uh, Voya 2, which I had mentioned at Amicon, the large development that we've been selling for the last over a decade now. So we have another tower to come out there, about 400 units this fall. We at Mississauga City Center. Um, we are releasing a beautiful project in Coburg called Kobe Towns. Um, again, we're finding that these 905-519 markets are a huge draw for Torontonians wanting to invest or now with these flexible work hours, some people are just opting to say, I'm going to move. I'm going to go buy a detached house versus living in a semi in the city or a townhouse or whatever. Their lifestyle now is possibly allowing that, especially with the flexibility and you know work schedules, which I believe is portion of that is here to stay. We have townhouses called Bridal Walk, Bridal Walk Trail, stacked townhouses coming in Brampton. Um, we have another release at um, Angus Glen, the big golf course in Markham for Calmore Homes. That's coming later this fall. And very interesting community we have is we have 500 townhouses coming in Picton, Ontario, um, out in Prince Edward County also this fall. So knock on wood, willing that everything happens and all the approvals fall into place and everybody gets their tarry on, et cetera, et cetera. We're planning on opening these six developments by the end of the year. So we have a very busy fall lineup. Very busy. Wow. We talked a moment ago about technology um, and we're going to, you know, we know that some of it's going to stay, but like if in your, in your company, what are the most important technical technology tools that, that everyone is happy with and uses? So we, um, we have our own in-house program that facilitates pre-construction sales for us and a follow-up program to go with that. Um, so it's all iPad app driven. We developed that a couple of years ago and we actually have a version two coming out this fall. So for us, that is our lifeline to our projects, the, ability, the fact that 
I can go on the app and I can check any of our development sites and see, you know, what's traded today, what the revenue is, what the inventory is, et cetera, who's come to the front door, what the comments are, what the follow-ups are from the agents. Um, and we allow our builders to access that too. We give them access to it. So to us, that, you know, virtual information center is extremely, extremely important. It's kind of the, the backbone of what we do and, and how we, um, you know, control our product and inventory and relay this information to our builder clients. So that's one. Um, another thing that we find that really has uh, has been elevated over the last few years is along with social media is actually the video aspect of our industry. Almost every launch we do now, we're spending a lot of time and effort and money putting together videos and extensive little clips for social media and for YouTube and for, you know, all the various channels that are out there. And um, we're finding that that the public wants to see that they're, they're very interested in a short, you know, 30 minute clip or last night's video was a 12 minute video, but you know, people love the, that they can get this visual information and they can watch it on their cell phone and they can, you know, play it in the car when they're driving, you know, they're not supposed to, we know, we know that they do. Um, so we find that again, technology back, like having that virtual ability to tap into your pipeline, to tap into your clients, all managed through an iPad or a phone is for us really a lifeline. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking the earlier part of our discussion about starting with, uh, you know, phone booths to suitcase phones to Blackberries to iPhones. I used to, when I was interviewing, I you know, during my career, I did a lot of recruiting. When I was interviewing new people, I used to say, you know, the business is going to change every five years. Now I think I would say it's going to change every year at the at the at the longest. I mean. The way you're talking about the business, can you imagine in two or three years how much more technology will be involved? Oh, absolutely. Right. I, you know, I can see houses being, even resale homes being sold fully online. I mean, I just think that that is really the future of the industry. And being able to tie all those elements, because not only does our client purchase from us, we connect them with, you know, a financial institution. We connect them with a lawyer. All of this is online now. Right. I mean, they don't, the lawyer is sending documents to be signed online. They're not going to the legal office to conduct closings. Money is being transferred online. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're doing their color selections online. They have a choice of doing them online. So they're basically putting together, you know, the elements of the sticks and bricks of their house, their cabinetry, their, their carpeting, whatever, online. So the, the whole experience has really shifted. And they said it, those blocks had already started um, you know, five years before COVID, we really found that that was starting to roll out. But COVID just fast forwarded that whole element of our industry. And I think people really enjoy it. I can't see that reverting back to the way it was no, and fully. I Again, all... there are people that are going to want to come in, touch, feel, you know, to me, I still love conducting a sale on a sales floor, shaking somebody's hand, you know, being able to see their eyes like that. That's salesmanship. But more and more people are are feeling very comfortable doing that online. And I, th I think it I think it just talks about the whole world of business changing. But you know, in, in the world of real estate, it was the last it was the last industry to adopt technology or change. And now I think it's one of the first moving forward because I always felt that you know, as an agent, uh, uh, you have to identify with who your customer is and how they want to work. Like if you have a customer, to your point, they want to come to the sales office, talk to a sales reps, you know, feel, see, 
You got to have that for them. If you've got a customer that never wants to meet anybody, they want to do it, you know, all virtually, you've got to be able to deal with them. You just have to know what they want and, and, and you know, and mirror what they're trying to do. And obviously your, your company does both. In, in terms of companies, it's such a unique industry, but what do you think are the talents uh, and the skills that make a really good pre-construction marketing company? Well, I think innovation, developers are looking for innovation. They're looking for, uh, you know, market intelligence. We have a, a large market research department where we, you know, put together extensive reports and presentations for our developer clients, analyzing every element of the industry. So, I mean, it's not, it's not good enough to simply be the way we used to do it. You always have to be looking for something new. What's, what, what can you bring to the table? What's the latest offering, be it technology or research? Um, you know, market intelligence. Um, and, and I actually think that a lot of our developers who have become our, literally our real estate partners over the last decade, we do a huge amount, like 90% of our business is repeat business. Um, our clients are very comfortable with us. They appreciate what we bring to their boardroom tables. And um, I think a part of that also is, is a great corporate culture that has evolved in our company, we put a lot of stock towards that. We spent a lot of time during COVID and prior to that, in all kinds of charitable endeavors, we you know we we give away um, the this year we actually gave away five scholarships. Um, wow. You know, two of them were one was a full four year university scholarship, one was a three year. We partnered with the Pinball Clemens Foundation to give away some of those. Um, and I think that developers want the best in the industry, or what they perceive as the best in the industry, that is very innovative and can deliver the goods and the product and, you know, keep them on the edge in the forefront of the industry. They also want to be, they want to surround themselves by good people. And I think that that's important because we spend so much time together and they have to trust us with so much. I mean, we really are the engine that kind of drives it without sales. There's no development. There's no building these hundreds of millions of dollars of, of developments. And we have projects that are worth billions of dollars that literally a developer is trusting us to position this, to um, design it, to, you know, really lead the charge when it comes to product design, pricing. Um, it, it's a huge role. There's a huge trust factor there. So we really are each other's partners in many, many ways. And a lot of our developer clients, you know, the second call that they make after they've bought a piece of land or decided to bring it to market, you know, apart from their architects and their, their engineers is to us, um, you know, what can I put there? please do an analysis for me. When can you present it? So there's a lot of trust there. And um, I think that the, it has to be a symbiotic relationship. So I think it has, it's not just one element of the industry. Um, I think there's a whole bunch of things that have been kind of rolled into this ball to make our company unique. And we're, we're, you know, we're very proud to be able to offer that. And it's obviously working for us because of the enormous growth we've had in the last decade. No, good for you. And I, I you know, I Again, I, what I enjoy about doing these podcasts, I knew you, but not the way I know you today and not the way the viewers know you. And I know how busy you are. So here's the last question. Um, what's the greatest advice that anyone has given you? Some will, some won't. Just keep moving forward. <laughs> Don't get discouraged when uh, you get knocked down. There's always something better around the corner. Uh, my, my, uh, life partner, Ralph Del Duca, who is also a, in the development industry as a developer. And um, one of the things he taught me was attitude and great attitude. You know, you're going to get, you're knocked down. There's going to be uh, 
you know, nose, door slammed in your face, disappointing clients, projects you have to walk away from. That's okay because there's so many more around the corner. Just be positive and move forward. There's always something bigger and better waiting around the corner. So um, I think that that's an attitude that we've taken in our company that, you know, um, things are good. It's a good industry. We're blessed to be in it. We're surrounded by great people. And if you have, you know, a couple of stumbles along the way, that's okay too. It's part of the learning process. Don't let them floor you and keep moving. You know what, Debbie, I'm going to end it on that note because it's such a good note for everybody. So thank you for taking time. Uh, obviously, you've got a lot on the go. Um, thank your support staff for being so great at setting this up. And, uh, you know, we look forward to talking to you again. So thanks again and uh, good luck with all your projects. Thank you, Howard. Appreciate it. And good luck with your amazing company also. Thank you. We're following you and okay. cheering you on. Thanks so much. Thanks, Debbie. We'd like to thank Debbie Kosick and you for joining us today. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please like, comment, and subscribe on your favorite podcast network or on our YouTube channel. And to reach us, you can reach us one of two ways by email at info at rewithhd.com or on our website, rewithhd.com. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.